Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club. We're your weekly comic book reading club that talks about almost exclusively first issues. It's easy for you to join the club because it is first issues. You can go to your bookstore any week on a Wednesday, pick up some new first issues, yep, and join the convo with us. Not a lot of news to get into today, and we're also oh excited to talk about our books. So we're going to get right to biz planet size x-men yes throughout the month marvel has been saying oh this book this <laughs> one right here x-men X- ever heard of x-men planet size it validates the term you thought x-men was big wait till they get a planet so i wouldn't necessarily say there was a lot of hype surrounding this book per se but there was definitely a lot of posturing by Marvel that this was going to be like a BFD. Mm-hmm. Now, to some of us, that was like scoffable. Right. Because one, they're giving it a title that says Planet Size, when famously the greatest X-Men comic of all time that did it all was Giant Size X-Men number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And this is even bigger than that. Kafal. Kafal. <laughs> the term so. is laughable. But after having read it, there's a lot more context here that goes into the title. Yes. Also, <laughs> that maybe a clever play on words. That makes it a lot less braggadocious. <laughs> so let's kind of start with how we got to this place. Yeah. And I want to kind of start talking about Jonathan Hickman's run. On X-Men, sure. which started about two or three years ago. About two years ago, yeah. He kicked this off with like an event series before they started up the X-Men books, and ever since they've all been... You've had like anywhere from six to 12 titles at any given time sure. that are each doing their own thing, but they're all kind of working towards the same end goal orchestrated by the House of Marvel and Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm. Um, one really interesting thing that he did was bring Kokoa back into the fold of the story and make it crucial to the home of the X-Men. That's the crux of the Jonathan Hickman run. Sure. That goes back and I think ties wonderfully into Giant Size X-Men number one. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have just seen that cover for years and years and years, and you know it's great, and you know it's the story that kicked everything off, and that was the first time they had a semblance of the team that you like really know and love. But not a lot of people know necessarily that that was where Krakoa was introduced. Right. If you just say to yourself, I'm a big fan of the modern run, and I want the you know, first appearance of Krakoa, uh, you're out of luck because that's <laughs> at minimum going to cost you like $5,000 for a bad copy. Yeah, for one that's been ran <laughs> over by a truck. That book is very unattainable for a lot of people. Yeah, right. The crux of this story... Creating our own island nation wasn't enough. Right. We're going to need more room. We're going to create our own planet. Well, yeah. Well, the planet was already in existence. Spoiler, they took over Mars. They took over Mars. So they terraformed Mars to make it a mutant utopia. Here's what I love about that specific nuance in the storytelling. Go for it. Is that let's say they created their own planet that was like not a pre-existing planet in the solar system. Right. It seems like, for whatever reason to me, that that's easier to like write off and say, let's ignore this storyline. Whereas now moving forward, the Marvel Universe has to acknowledge 
that a major planet in the solar system <laughs> is now like a place with oceans and uh-huh. a living, second Earth, living things, a second Earth, <laughs> this like glorious place that's like the home of the mutants. Where they're not welcome. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> and we always say we love the politics side of this, but at the end of the book, if you're a patient reader, mm-hmm. we get a couple different memos or pieces of correspondence from a couple different places, one of which is NASA. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're kind of like, you know, confirming with the government and other nations like that this stuff actually happened. It wasn't an illusion, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But they also present the argument that they're disappointed that Mars has been claimed. Hey, we, you know, we've been working our way towards Mars for a long time or had our sights set on potentially setting up a colony there. We've sent rovers there to study it. There's a lot to be gained from the study of a foreign planet. And now uh, people have just called dibs on it. They got there first. Yeah. Can you really like claim Mars as as yours? Uh, to the X-Men, they say, hey, realistically, at a minimum, you're 30 years out from even getting here. Exactly. So don't even speculate that in your lifetime, you were going to like make a hubbub of... Mm-hmm of Mars. Uh, that memo that the the fake NASA memo read to me like someone who was just so butt hurt that mm. they didn't get there first cuz you better believe if America or any other country would have gotten there first and started to do a colony that would be henceforth known as like another providence of that country. You know what I mean? Sure. Like if America got there first, we wouldn't be like, oh, let's share this beautiful planet. They would be like, no, fuck that. We've got gunners on the top and the <laughs> the north and the south pole of this motherfucker. You're not coming to Mars anymore. Exactly right. Uh, as perfect evidence, the famous moon turrets. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> landed on the moon and immediately put down turrets. Neil Armstrong famously stayed behind. He's maybe still defending up there. Yeah. I heard you age slower in space. You age slower and your bones get heavier. Mm-hmm. He's and hanging out there with Uatu, yep. the watcher. He said that famous line of, take it from my cold, dead hands. Yep. And he's up there with a moon laser, protecting us. <laughs> the American people. Yeah. From uh, outer, outer space attacks. <laughs> I thought a fun thing that the X-Men did that was... Mm-hmm. Um, very uh, diva-ish is yeah. that they claimed now that this mutant planet on Mars is the capital of this galaxy. Oh my God. When I read that, I was like, I, you wonder why people hate you. I was just <laughs> like, how can the X-Men claim that they don't want drama when they just created themselves? Yeah. They're just like, oh, well, yeah, we're the cap, we're the new capital now. Like, you're going to want to come see us when you come here for aliens. Yeah, there's a lot of embracing of the superiority complex. And I don't know if that's something that's like a narrative piece throughout that's going to like hint to their downfall or play a major part later on. It's certainly refreshing in a sense to see characters that have been constantly beat down forever mm-hmm. just be like, Flex, 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 flex for so many issues in a row. Yeah. Um, that you're just like, yeah, I wanted to read some winning. Pretty soon, though, the X-Men's have to be dealt in L. Yeah. Because hubris has to catch up with them. Right. And it's going to be in the form of either a planetary attack on this new planet that they made or an attack on Krakoa. 
uh, we've also got Nimrod on the loose. Nimrod's on the loose. Which he was set up as the big bad, essentially, in Hux and Pox. He's impending doom, ruler of Earth in X-Men canon in like the inevitable future of this world moving forward, mm-hmm. unless something intercepts it or happens in between. Otherwise, our world's going to have to reset. Uh, that's maybe too convoluted to get into with the discussion of planet size. Yeah, so let's go back to a planet they make. (laughs) Speaking of not convoluted. I mean, a lot of convoluted stuff, but it kind of does, do you, to to you, does this signify a new era of X-Men or a new phase of X-Men? I kind of like that this was a good time to make a move because we've got a new writer coming in and writing the primary book called Mm X-Men. I think it's actually really brilliant because they created a second sword ship Mm -hmm. and just to basically reinforce the idea that they're going to focus on space a lot. Not only because of the planet, but sword is known for its intergalactic and their goings on and all that stuff in in that realm. Um, Secondly, I thought it was brilliant that the Araco refugees essentially... This is their planet now. Yeah. They just moved them there to, like, kind of get a little more breathing room. I think they've alluded to that they're going to move the fields that make the medicine up there because they need more room to Mm -hmm. make the plant because humans now want, like, stronger medicine. They're having trouble meeting the demands that Earth has for all the wonderful drugs they have. If you haven't been reading X-Men, they're growing miracle drugs as, like, a bargaining chip to be recognized as a world power. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get a couple X-Men side books about new mutants on Arako. Sure. You know what I mean? That's a whole new playground to play with. That is just whatever you can think of, do it, because it's new. We've never seen these people before, ever. It needs to happen. Otherwise, it's going to feel like, hey, you just explained away all of these Mil- apparently millions of characters mm-hmm. that got thrown onto Earth and saying, oh, that's a problem from a <laughs> the perspective of like writing ourselves out yeah. of it, so we throw them on a different planet. You don't want it to seem just like a uh, throwaway gimmick to just like solve like a small writing problem you had. You know what I mean? Because it's going to seem like that if you don't serve... It, 100% Because it doesn't serve the storyline. Because that planet's going to need government. It's going to need society. It's going to need... yeah technology it's going to be so complex and to just leave it open-ended and unexplored mm-hmm. would just be a giant mistake yes. by marvel there's so many rich characters to be invented so many rich stories to be told just from this new planet you just created yeah one of the things that i think clues me into the potential for that to be a direction moving forward is the tagline for the new x-men book which appears to be heroes of earth Mm. Or like Earth's, well, Earth's greatest heroes is Fantastic Four's tagline, right? Earth's mightiest heroes Earth's mightiest is heroes. Avengers. Is Avengers, okay. Um, in any case, they made the point of saying Earth for X-Men. Mm-hmm. So Scott, Gene, Polaris, the whole crew are going to be Earth's side. I prob- Focusing on Earth problems. Probably like liaisons to world powers of Earth in addition to being like the... Uh, Avengers type team that just takes on big bads. Sure. So look, I think look forward to that being like a really back to basics sort of X Men book. I hope so. Where they're just like having fun, fighting bad guys, 
uh, yada yada yada. Well, that's where the most of those early X Men books shine the most. It's mm-hmm. just it's very simple. It's very basic. X Men are the good guys. They fight villains. And then over the years, it got more complex. Just like, well, are the X Men good guys? And then it was just like, well, who's persecuting who? Who? And then it got more complicated and complicated. I think they do need to simplify it. Simplify it just a little bit. So th- for me, a long time reader. Now I'm at a point where I enjoy the complexity, right? I, and I don't want it to be just like punching bad guys, but there certainly needs to be that. So I appreciate that X-Men, the main book, mm-hmm. is something accessible and simple, and then I can have all of the adjunct outside books that, hey, if you care to buy them, buy them. I've got things like, uh, what's the X-Corp? X-Corp is the Aaron Sorkin X-Men book. <laughs> X-Men book. We're focusing strictly on the business of the pharmaceuticals. Yep. Like, man, how in the weeds is that? You know, A book that you didn't even think needed to exist. Some, there's a lot of people who want to read X-Men who don't want to have to know about the pharmaceuticals being used as a bargaining chip for world power. Right. So, yes, you can create an X-Men book and give people what they want and also give me the other world things that not other world but these world adjacent things that can add enrich more, the world add yeah. more pepper enrich it yeah totally one thing we kind of got a resolution to as well was kind of a controversy with marvel and x-men fans um over the past year jonathan hickman had made major plans for Franklin Richards to be part of the X-Men. They went as far as creating a miniseries mm-hmm. wherein they courted Franklin Richards and were trying to figure out all his stuff, right? Um, ultimately, Dan Slott wrote Franklin off as not a mutant. Yeah. And that drastically changed a lot of the X-Men team's plans. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Hickman acknowledged as much. We get a scene in Planet Size where they're saying, hey, are we sure we're going to be able to do what we're setting out to accomplish? This may be a time to call out some more big guns. And then they show a little hologram of Franklin Richards and Magneto's like, we don't need a pretender to do this. If you don't know, when Franklin Richards appeared to be a mutant, one of his powers was essentially creating universes. Mm -hmm creating worlds, creating life where there was none. It would have been a really cool way to usher in Franklin Richards as like the most powerful Omega-level mutant there was. Right, the heavy hitter. Exactly right, the heavy hitter. So a lot, I guess a lot of things kind of like coming full circle, and it's interesting to me as like such an avid comic book fan to see some acknowledgement of like, hey, for anyone who would have been like fucking pissed that, we started this and didn't finish it. Like, here's at least an acknowledgement of that thing mm-hmm. to say we were going to do it. It was taken out of our hands. And so we course corrected. It was kind of like a wink to, to readers, I think. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, when Dan Slott did that, people were pissed. He's also said like, hey, I've got bigger plans down the road. You got to trust me with this one. So I don't know if he's going to end up ultimately like making him a mutant again or doing something else. But still, weird the mo- move. The moment's gone. Right. We'll see. This was supposed to be the moment, and you know we didn't get it as X Men fans. I, we still got a great moment, mm-hmm. and you know maybe it even seems like more earned and cooler that like you found different ways to rope 
other characters in. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to complain too much. I guess I'm already complaining, but <laughs> to me, overall, the end product was was great. I see it as like a, a great end to the Jonathan Hicks, Hickman X-Men mm-hmm. era, even though he's still got his like toe into it. Um, I see it as like a really fun like bookend. Just like say they ended X-Men books with this book. Sure. It's really cool to say we've got the Krakoa thing bookending both sides. Yeah. Like there's just certain continuity things that they did with the team Mm -hmm. and with uh, all the parallel universes and uniting all the storylines to explain everything and retcon everything that it really does seem like a well-earned moment to me. I, I, I think a lot of us looked at the last event and said, Ten of Swords, man, that was really cool. But you brought over all these new mutants, and we haven't like really seen any of them. Right. So what real repercussions did it have? I think a lot of us were looking for like lasting repercussions and craziness. Like it started with like rock slide dying. Right. And not being able to be, be brought back. Be reanimated correctly, yeah. right? So yeah. I was like, man, that's like first issues or preludes were already killing off characters and I thought more of that was going to happen and it didn't really. Mm -mm. This book, however, seemed more like, and the Hellfire Gala event seems more like, okay, we're actually like doing big things and paying stuff off because of this story that we're getting in in a way that I was, I wasn't expecting from Hellfire Gala, but I'm glad to find here. Yeah. Um, I think when they, uh, so with the, with Krakoa, they have the Quiet Council, which, is very diplomatic and they all have to vote and come to a consensus. And on the new planet, they have built like this kind of battle dome or like this little <laughs> arena where they said that all disputes will be settled here before they go any further. So it seems like in the mutant world, if you have beef, you bring it to planet X-Men and they're just like, fight it out right here. That way we can see in a like official court, area the battle and then whoever wins what you decree or what you decide we're gonna go with going forward then they certainly made a point to say like on this new planet we'll flourish here and we'll war here Mm -hmm. that it was like these are the constant struggles of any living thing and we're gonna be like a planet like anyone else we're gonna fight amongst ourselves and we're gonna have beef and we're gonna have wars just like man that's a bummer sentiment on like the first day you're on your brand new planet to be like, ultimately we're going to end up with the same pithy loss of life for right. yeah. <laughs> for no reason that everyone else has. But it is interesting to see it embraced in such a way. It's like part of our culture is to, is to war. Well, yeah, it's a very real moment that I only the X-Men could bring up and be like, yep, this is what it is. Right. You know? Yep. You you didn't think we were going to fight? Like, oh, how naive. It's like, okay, fuck you. Can we have one nice day, please? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm just in wait now to kind of see where, you know, yep. the next wave of books go from here. It's it's uh, We have Inferno coming up, which is Jonathan Hickman's latest X-Men book. So he's still, like we mentioned, he's got his toe in. He's I don't know that he's completely helming the direction of the story anymore. Or if he's just like writing this book 
that's keeping things going. I know, like, we never totally resolved all the Moira stuff he introduced. There's a, there's a lot to tie up because we don't know what Mystique's going to do because she's mad because Destiny can't come back. Yep. Who is her wife. Right. Uh, the Moira stuff, which you've talked about. Uh, Sabretooth is still locked away in some weird dungeon jail. Yep. I think there's a lot going to be happening when Inferno comes out that's going to be a pleasant surprise for a lot of people who are waiting for some definitive answers. I bet Nimrod comes back. Sure. In one way or another. So yep. I'm excited for the direction of X-Men. I have been this I have been excited since Hawks and Pox, really. I think it's it's headed in a steady direction towards something. Uh-huh. Which is sometimes hard for X-Men books to do. Right. They kind of love to meander sometimes. So I'm I'm pleased with uh what we've seen so far. I was talking to you the other day about potentially pulling X-Men out of my Marvel run of short boxes. Yeah. Right now I've got something like 28 short boxes of Marvel comics and interspersed throughout them is like runs of Excalibur <laughs> and you know runs of Generation X and then runs of X-Force yeah and they're all so far apart and normally when I'm looking for a couple different X-Men things or trying to track down something mutant related it's annoying to say okay now I gotta go through all these boxes to find or reinsert and filter through like all my other books. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm ready to make that move. Do it. Big announcement for me. You heard it here, folks. I'm pulling my X-Men books independent of my Marvel run, and they're getting their own series of short boxes. Do you agree with Mike D's choice? Text us. I wonder if anyone... tell us. Yeah, I'm just interested to see like almost everyone I know is like publisher. And then everything alphabetized within publisher. I'm alphabetical. Regardless of publisher? Mm-hmm. You're insane. I know. I I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. Well, and my, my comic book room isn't really fully set up yet because we just moved. So Independence, too? Yeah. Oh, Greg. It makes it a lot easier if I'm looking for a certain book. I know the name of it. I can go right to that section. I wouldn't think so. To have subsections that you know you can tackle first is the superior way to handle comic organization. You know what? I do want people to voice their opinion on this <laughs> on social media. Tell us how you categorize and order your comic books because I want to know if I'm taking the L or Mike D's taking the L. I feel like there's no way I'm taking an L on this. Sound off Twitter. Sound off Instagram. We want to hear you. If I'm messing with my three boxes of Boom Comics... It's so much easier to go to the boom thing and filter those books in. It's you're saying that's easier than going to you have your copy of Wind and going to where you keep the W's and and organizing it that way. I got to go through like th- three or four boxes of W comics. If I'm doing A's, I got to go through like eight boxes of A comics versus going to Boom and going through you know, one or two short boxes that like are gonna have the W. It's either like this. It's either box, you know, three or four that has W's in it. I've never had an issue with that, but maybe I'm just so used to it. I'm aghast. <laughs> I have got you floored you're, right now. You're either like mind-numbingly bored by this conversation, or you're like ge- screaming, or you're like geeking out that just like. I want to argue my point about <laughs> comics organization. It's something we're all very passionate about. I've wanted to for a long time, 
get like some sort of contraption built. I think you've told me you've maybe done this before that pushes books up in short boxes. So when you only have like half the short box full, oh, yeah, uh-huh. you don't get that like wicked lean. Yeah. This way, like, let's say, so like of Aftershock comics, mm-hmm. I have a short box and a half mm-hmm. worth of Aftershock. And so that other half just like sits all clunky. Yeah. And I can put like an old cereal box <laughs> inside yeah, honestly, the short box. Yeah. It's just figuring out what kind of buffer or bumper you want to make to. Yeah, exactly. It seems goofy out of all the people who collect comics that like a cereal box is what I'm using. <laughs> Full of cereal, which is yeah, the crazy thing. Exactly right. You've got ants all in these boxes. <laughs> They're not getting into my bags and boards, though. That's true. I like to create my own microverses oh, and God. imagine and name all these ants. You're making your own Planet X mm-hmm. with every short box of comics. <laughs> Exactly right. Is that enough planet size X Men and storage conversation? I think so. Okay. I think we beefed it up. I'm sorry if uh, you're not interested in X Men. You're obviously not listening still if you're not. <laughs> if you're not, we'll see you next week. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other stuff to talk about. <laughs> the next book we want to talk about is, of course, club favorite writer Tom King's Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. I was. Wait for it. Shocked by how much I enjoyed this book. I was not shocked by how much I enjoyed this book because Tom King can write himself a fucking first issue. Even so, I really had no interest in any kind of Supergirl story. Yeah. Not because I don't like the character. Just wasn't interested. Yeah. Didn't seem like a character or a book for me. Do I trust Tom King? Sure. He's he's written, uh, I would say, a fair amount of good books. <laughs> he's well-known as a writer. Um, he's, he's most well-known as the killer of Alfred. That rat bastard. The only thing in Batman continuity that is stuck is the death of Alfred. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it's lasted this long, to be honest. I was for sure going to be like convinced that he was like a clone or that he crushed a robot or something and like a real Alfred would pop out of a closet. 100% agree. I cannot believe in my wildest dreams that someone at DC said, yeah, all right, kill Alfred. Yeah, fuck, I don't care. Who? who? Alfred? Yeah, I don't give a shit. Oh, a character that's been around since like the 30s? He's he's not Batman? Sure. <laughs> you can kill anyone you want except Joker and Batman. Do whatever the fuck you want. It's wild. Do you have many copies of that? I I mean, I think I have maybe like one or two. I think I've got two or three. And I think a lot of people skipped it because they're just like, oh, this isn't going to stick. Yeah, that run wasn't particularly popular that I remember either. I think it was like the beginning of City of Bane. Yes, it was. And so uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. So anyway, Tom King, writing yes. for Supergirl. Yes. You weren't shocked. I was shocked. It was a compelling, kind of funny Story. We have Supergirl who's celebrating her 21st birthday party on this planet with a red sun so she can get drunk. So she can get drunk, right? They're like <laughs> invulnerability and like the way they can like reprocess cells so well mm-hmm. under a yellow sun, like doesn't let them get inebriated. Right. So she's got to go to another planet to party. Much like the problem with Wolverine that we've talked about. Yeah. He can drink all he wants, but he can't get hammered. Healing factor. Yeah. Cleaning up his blood cells. 
and so she she's like kind of a, uh, approached by this woman who is trying to track down the killer of her father. Right. And what happens next is the most incredible fight scene <laughs> I have seen in a DC book in a while. Uh, Supergirl is just taking arrows to the chest. Yes. And walking towards these enemies like she's walking down a catwalk right. and just like not flinching an inch. I loved the fight scene where we kind of reveal like, oh, that's Supergirl on this like weird planet. Yes, yeah. I love that they didn't go ahead and spell it out for us to begin with. We're piecing it together kind of like a drunk Kara. A Kara. <laughs> and so um, it, it's just incredible that this, this young woman like just chases down Supergirl, just like yeah. pleading to to help her avenge her father's death. Spoiler, the, the dude's chasing after her anyway. Because he's following the girl that's putting a hit out on him. Yep. And the, the guy stumbles onto Kara's ship that's already been like activated to return home to Earth. Yep. And it takes off without Supergirl. And now that's where the, the cliffhanger was for the first issue. Yes. And I I had no, you know, uh uh plans to pick up this series. Yes. And now I'm I'm probably going to get the first arc just to see where this goes. Totally. The artwork is gorgeous. Yep. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of alien landscapes and mutants to look at. It's super super fun and it's you got this cheeky kind of Kara Supergirl that is just very endearing. Another aspect of this book that I really loved is that Kara took Crypto with her. Mhm. There is a scene when Crypto goes full bore towards the people who are attacking Kara. And, you know, he's used to being completely invulnerable, too. So he's like head full of steam. Yep. And then he feels pain, you know, maybe as worse as he's ever felt it because he's not commonly like not on Earth uh-huh. being super powered, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So to see Kara be like, you hurt or killed my dog. One of those two scenarios has happened. She went John Wick. She went fucking ballistic. <laughs> and like you were mentioning earlier when you were talking about the fight scene, her like death march towards these guys where they're just like filling her with arrows and she's just like, you obviously don't know who the fuck I am. But you're about to. Yes. I was like, oh my God. This took that character to another place that like, people have written plenty iterations of Supergirl that have great depth and see her push to her limits, etc. So I I don't want to make it sound like she's not a character who hasn't been explored to her fullest extent. But at the same time, this was like a little bit of a different bent Seeing her be someone with like the most ultimate form of confidence, mm-hmm. but but at the same time be very vulnerable in a way we haven't seen her before. So a lot to love, a lot new here. One thing that I worry about, I love. I, I just want to say I love, 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 love Tom King. Sure, a lot of the DC books generally have a dip in reception. Rorschach number one. People loved it. Fantastic book. Yep. From then on out, excitement starts to dwindle. Right. Heroes in Crisis. Oof. Amazing first issue. Yeah. People really didn't like that series as a whole. And to to make a point there, I don't think people understood what he was trying to do with Heroes in Crisis. Yes. 
that book wasn't about superheroes. Right. That book was about trauma yeah. and how to deal with trauma. Right, totally. And so once you get into that mindset, it is a way better read. People were just mad about like a decision made with The Flash. Right, and everyone always is. Yeah. The Flash is such a weird, like, linchpin character for mm-hmm. some people that it, it it really kind of pigeonholes writers of DC to, like, when they include the Flash, they're like, "Well, I'm gonna piss off piss off a Flash fan because I'm gonna write him wrong, but yeah. we got to do it anyway." Right. So, Heroes in Crisis is not as bad as a lot of people say. I bought every cover. <laughs> yeah, because they're incredible. I the art and it's amazing. I love a lot of Tom King writes to like nine panel grid a lot, which I love, and they're great in those. Yeah, which is a nod to Alan Moore. Yeah, they're great in the confessional sort of like real world scenes. Phenomenal. But in any case, same thing with Strange Adventures. Like, that was another book that, like, amazing first issue. Yeah. And then sort of lost people around the middle. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you know why? Because it's not a book about superheroes. It's a book about the human condition. I I love it. <laughs> I mean, the most recent book of Strange Adventures, I was like, whoa, fuck. This, and, and this has two issues left? Like, I, he can he can hit you with some uh, a, a heavy popping bat. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're like, this still isn't like the conclusion of the story? Like, what the fuck? So he's he's a phenomenal writer. Um, sometimes I think you're right that the, or what you might be suggesting is that the sort of nuance that he's trying to uh, convey just isn't for everybody. Right. But the- it's definitely for me. And I think sure. if you've read a series from him and... Uh, feel dulled by it midway through or a little lulled by it, I would say power through. One, it's stupid to have books one through five of a 12-issue series in your collection. Yeah, it's so annoying. You'll never resell it like that. So just if th- you, think if of you, the aftermarket. If you care about selling, I don't know. I don't care about selling, but at the same time, too, it's like, why do I have like half of these books in my collection? I might as well get the whole thing and like trust that. An amazing writer is gonna, knows what the fuck he's doing. Knows what they're doing and is kind of like going to bring you back around, and all the exposition is going to be worth it. You know, and I could even give you the benefit of the doubt. And I, I I'm not trying to rag on Dan Slott, but sometimes he writes some mediocre storylines. So I can uh, see where people dip out on Dan Slott or other writers. But I mean, Tom King is a proven storyteller. Yeah, like time and time again, like to not just follow through on a storyline, you only have yourself to blame. And I, I will not back down from that. <laughs> you can go ahead and at me. <laughs> I will say, maybe not for everybody, though. Yeah, well, neither is pineapple on pizza. That is true. Mm, what's your take? I don't like pineapple on pizza. Oh, I love it. Really? Yes. Do you like it with ham? Like a, a whole Hawaiian thing? I do enjoy that. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have to be with ham, but... I recently found out mm-hmm. that I... Enjoy mushrooms on my pizza. Oh, mushrooms are great. Mushroom pepperoni, my favorite combo. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, this is a. Th- there's a reason that whenever you see a cartoon pizza, it's <laughs> mushroom and pepperoni. You know, I never noticed that, but I'll have to take a look at it. It's the consensus animated pizza of choice. It's the pizza of Hollywood. You know what you do see a lot uh, sometimes on drawn pizzas is green peppers. I do notice green peppers a lot. Which is like, okay, now you're just 
putting something in there because you're an artiste. I think it needs like a pop of color. Yeah, like, exactly. Green right. I'll tell you who does like green peppers on their pizza. <laughs> oh my god, I know what you're talking about. My wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> who do you think I was gonna say? Tom King. There was a politician the other day who was talking about like New York pizza. And oh did, no, I didn't see that. And did his like top ten New York pizza toppings. Oh. During like a presser. Oh God. Why do they even answer those fucking questions? It's a trap. So stupid. His top topping, I think, was green peppers, which I was just like, who orders green peppers? Good God. My top uh topping for a pizza? Extra cheese. I'm not an extra cheese guy. I love extra cheese. Yeah, it's not me. It ain't me, babe. The best place to get a New York slice? Sabatos. <laughs> <laughs> in the Midwest, the Des Moines Sabaros. <laughs> Wait, Sabaros, the De- the Des Moines of Italy. <laughs> but I think that's it. I think that is it. But if you are a member of the Patreon, it is not it because yeah. over there we're going to be talking about the newest uh, Peach Momoko Demon Days uh, book in their series. And we're also going to be diving into Venom 200. Mm-hmm. A fuck ton happened in that book. Yes. And we are just chomping at the bit to get to it. So if you want to listen to us talk about those books, hop on over to the Patreon. If you're not a Patreon member yet, go to patreon.com slash Club and become one. It's three bucks. Well, it's four bucks, technically. Three ninety nine. We priced it the, the cost of one comic. One comic book. And there's over 100 episodes on the Patreon. Isn't that wild? Over 100 episodes. That is crazy. And they're all great. (laughs) Not a bad one in the bunch. (laughs) Don't don't hold me to that. Don't believe me? Become a Patreon and listen to them. Gotcha. It's about, yeah, one episode a week, uh, $3.99 a month. Guaranteed one episode a week. That's our promise. So with that... We bid you good day till next week. Kiss your mama. (laughs) We had to add a little (laughs) flavor at the end. (laughs) First Issue Club is brought to you by Boulevard Brewing Company via Space Camper Cosmic IPA. Our music is courtesy of the fine folks at Primary Color Music. You can find, friend, and follow us on social media at First Issue Club or firstissueclub.com. You can support First Issue Club by joining us on our Patreon for additional content at patreon.com slash firstissueclub.